welcome to this latest edition of Out With. And today we're going beyond our borders all the way to China. In fact, we're even going beyond China's borders because today we're discussing an infrastructure project. Bear with me. An infrastructure project that's going beyond China's borders even. This is something which is uh, very much international, whichever way you look at it. We're talking today about something called the Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI, which is also known as the New Silk Roads or the uh, New Maritime Silk Roads or the One Belt, One Road Initiative. In fact, this is quite a complex concept, but it's an enormous concept. It's a concept with a price tag of anything up to $1 trillion. So what is this exactly? Well, we're going to break it down with Matt Schrader. Matt is the editor of the uh, China Brief, a publication from the Jamestown Foundation in Washington, D.C. China, uh, China, Matt is someone I met in China um, a very long time ago. Uh, He's someone who researches uh, what the the Chinese government is doing, what the Chinese economy is doing and how it impacts on our wider world. And this is something particularly uh, which will impact on our wider world and is already having an impact on the world. This infrastructure project is essentially designed as a 21st century Silk Road. This is a series of projects which China is doing and expanding outwards in a bid to sell things internationally, but also develop the channels and the corridors to sell this. Now, our world is changing and the way we're doing business is changing and the way we're exporting and importing things is changing. So increased infrastructure is something which will enable this trade to take uh, to, to, to happen and to happen well, especially in these brexit times where we don't know what's happening with our trade. So is this Belt and Road Initiative something which we should be embracing or is there a cautionary tale? I sat down with Matt to find out. Thanks very much for coming on to Out With. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. Listen, we, um, we've, many of us have heard about the Silk Road. It's one of these mystical things you hear about in, uh, in old uh, children's books, the Silk Road, yeah. uh, visions of uh, silks and spices getting transported yep. by camels and yep. caravans. Uh, now there's a new Silk Road coming about, and this is going to mm-hmm. have quite a big impact, is it not? Uh, yes. Yeah. In one word. Yes, it will. Okay. So let's, let's go into more detail about it. But so instead of calling this the Silk Road, instead it's got this really weird name, the One Belt, One Road Initiative. Um, So it was, it was, it's called, it was called the One Belt, One Road. And then they decided they needed to rebrand it as the Belt and Road Initiative. Oh, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. So that's what, that's what it's called now. Now, the Chinese are good at a lot of things, aren't they? But it seems like naming stuff isn't one of them because this has got to be one of the worst names I've ever heard. Oh, it's terrible. Um, and actually, at one point they in Beijing, they hosted the uh, they called it the Belt and Road Forum, which if you think about what the acronym for that would be, uh, <laughs> just give it a second. <laughs> the BRF. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Yeah. The, OK, the, so the already this had a lot of fun with that so i mean already so a belt and rose tell us what it is tell us what it is and why we should care because already i'm falling sorry, asleep <laughs> sorry to sidetrack us there a little bit uh, so uh, the answer to that is actually pretty interesting because the the answer to what it is has actually changed 
quite a lot since it was first introduced in about 2013, 2014. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in in 2013, 2014, the idea was that China was going to uh, essentially just build a lot of infrastructure um, across a couple of well-defined geographical belts, you know, hence Belt and Road. Um, except it was going to call one of those belts a belt and call one of them a road, and one of them was going to be on the land, and one of them was going to be on the sea. It was, it was all very confusing to everybody trying to sort out what was what. But this is essentially um, but, just the Chinese building a whole lot of infrastructure. Yeah, that's the best way to understand it. And most of it was going to be in Central Asia, Southeast Asia, um, along the, the coast, essentially, in mm-hmm. the Indian Ocean over towards Africa. Uh, and the idea was that this area of the world has an enormous infrastructure deficit. And this this is actually true. Uh, there's a lot of estimates floating around that these countries are experiencing an infrastructure deficit that can be measured in the trillions of dollars. So they need roads, they need bridges, they need ports, they need you know everything you need to make a modern economy function. And so China steps up and says, we are willing um, for the purposes of promoting our own trade, because everybody knows that this is self-interested as well, um, to help build a lot of this stuff. And so that was the idea. In well, so far, so good. It sounds like everyone's yeah. a winner here. These countries need roads yeah. and they need ports. Yep. And yep. the Chinese need to spend money building roads and so on because they're wanting to develop trade, essentially. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of other reasons that that China wanted to do this kind of thing. Like uh, at the time, people speculated that it was because they've got essentially too much production capacity for things like steel and cement in their own economy, so they needed to export it. Um, but that, it turns out that's probably not really a big reason. The really big reason is is the one stated, which is that they wanna they wanna promote their own trade at least at the start. Okay. Um, Give us a sense of the scale of this then, Matt, because, um, you know, we've got a belt which is going along a maritime route. So they're developed building ports and things so that they can have their ships send things essentially all over the world. They have a road which is following across Central Asia, developing these roads and this infrastructure Mm -hmm. to try and get their goods, um, you know, I think the big thing was that that big railway line you could go from uh, by train yeah, from yeah. Beijing all the way through to London at one stage. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of those. So, yes. you know, this, I mean, this is, you know, give us a sense of the scale of it. I mean, how much money are the Chinese pumping into this? Uh, right. So this is something that has been, um, controversy is not the word, but it's it's been unclear from the start of it. Um, and this is, When I said at the start that it's changed a lot since the 2013, 2014, I think it's important for us to kind of go now into into how it's changed um, Mm -hmm. in terms of perception and reality, because that kind of partially answers the question you just asked. Um, So when this was first announced, the the scale of this was just mind boggling, you know, that there were numbers being thrown around like. A trillion dollars worth of infrastructure. There was one. There was one number that was eight trillion dollars worth yeah. of in- infrastructure. Just absolutely unbelievable numbers. We're talking about like, you know, numbers equivalent to the 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 total GDP of China yeah. every year. Um, Which is I, a bit think, crazy in terms of numbers. Yeah, I mean that's quite a lot uh, of money. 
Yeah, but the thing is that that when it comes to China, people tend to people tend to believe those numbers because um, you know the the Chinese government up until a few years ago has done a pretty it's it's got it's got a pretty good track record as far as things concerned with the economy. And secondly, I think there's just something about like being in the West and not knowing a lot about China that when you hear these big numbers, it's like, oh man, China has already built their economy and they can do anything they want economically and oh, they're going to spend a trillion dollars on on infrastructure and they're going to leave the West behind. Right. Um, and as the BRI has developed, uh, that it's not really been the case. Um, the, the actual amount of money that has been loaned out so far, and I should emphasize that, that these are not – it's not spending. It's, it's loans. Um, the overwhelming majority of money that's actually being spent on this infrastructure is, is Chinese banks loaning local governments the money to build the infrastructure that they expect so to be So it's not the repaid. Chinese who are building the infrastructure. It's the other countries. No, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a pretty good deal for uh, the Chinese companies involved because it's, it's Chinese banks lend money to the local governments who then turn around and, and by and large end up paying Chinese companies to build the infrastructure. Okay. And why are they, why are they getting Chinese companies to build this infrastructure? Why aren't they getting local companies to do it? Um, probably a practical and a political answer to that. The practical answer is that in a lot of cases, um, they don't have firms locally who are able to do this at the speed and scale that the Chinese firms are able to do it. Okay. Uh, because if there's one thing that Chinese infrastructure construction firms have experience with, it's building a lot of infrastructure in a very short period of time. Yes. Um, the political answer to it would be uh, because loaning money gives you leverage. So if you have leverage, you are in a position to say we would really prefer that you spend this money on Chinese firms. So uh, one of the Chinese conditions of Chinese those firms. loans could be um, we will loan you this money, but a condition of the loan would be that you would go turn to Chinese companies to build this. Is that a? Uh, you know, I'm not expert enough to tell you whether or not that's actually written into the, the the terms and stipulations of the loans. I can only tell you that almost all of the construction along. The Belt and Road Initiative has been done either solely by Chinese firms or by Chinese firms in cooperation with local firms. Okay, so if we just sort of take a wiser view of this, uh, just to, 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 to bring this back. So we have um, a policy which was developed in China where they wanted to expand outwards. They wanted to take their trade, take their products, recreate the old Silk Road of yore um, and invest mm crazy sums of money into this project. So we're, you know, estimates of up to a trillion dollars. And they're wanting to build infrastructure all across the world to try and um, link China with countries um, along a maritime route and overland uh, all the way through to, to, to Western Europe. And in doing this, uh, the way they've been doing this is loaning money to these countries where they're wanting to build the infrastructure so they can mm -hmm. sell their products, loaning mm -hmm. the money to these countries, and then these countries in turn have to build this infrastructure, but are more often than not are using Chinese companies. This sounds like a very, very good deal for the Chinese. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. 
So, um, and you've actually you've done a much better job summing it up than I did. That was that was well done. I am summing up, give it from the information you're giving me. So if so, I'm trying to figure out then what is the point of this initiative? Because it seems that the Chinese are getting an awful lot out of this. Uh, they're getting to expand their trade networks, um, and they're getting to provide their own people and their own companies with massive um, with massive contracts to build. Because we're not just building like a two track road. We're talking about building an entire port in, you know, mm-hmm. a country. Sri Lanka, for example. In Sri Lanka, for example. So that's one of the the, the projects that this, they've done. They have built an entire port uh, in the country of Sri Lanka. Um, so this isn't exactly chicken meal um, sums of money we're talking about. This is enormous sums of money we're talking about. What what are the other countries getting out of this? Because I, I can see what China's getting out of this. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, they get the infrastructure. Um, but does the, the infrastructure are... belong to them? Yes, it okay. does. Um, the The infrastructure belongs to them, but they still have to pay back the loans. Okay. Um, and that, I imagine, we're probably you've probably got this plan that we're going to get into this at some point in this conversation. But that that's the stipulation that is actually getting the Belt Road in trouble in some countries, okay. um, where you're getting you've had countries that have taken on more debt than they're able to repay. Okay. Talk to us about this debt, because it seems like the, the this is what's a big part of what's making this um, this infrastructure program work. It seems to be based on debt. Yeah, and real quick, I kind of want to, I think I got a little off track in a previous answer. I just want to say one more thing about the scale of this, that, yeah. you know, the numbers were supposed to be about, you know, trillion, eight trillion, who knows. The, the actual outlay so far of funds, according to people who track this, is somewhere more in the neighborhood of $400 billion to date. Right, which um, is still crazy is, money. That's that's a lot of money, yeah. But it's also, it, it's dropped off significantly in the past year or two. Okay. Um, you know, lending appears based on, you know, based on what we're able to track and what we're able to see, it appears to have dropped off at over 80% from 2015 which was the the peak of bri lending so okay you know bri appears to have uh reduced a lot in scale since then and there's a lot of reasons that that could be happening but you know it, it does appear to be winding down a little it appears to be winding, but still i mean even i mean i'm sitting here in, in my kitchen in Glasgow and it's, I mean I have 400 billion dollars still seems like an awful lot of money to me whichever no, way no, you look at it, it. Yeah, a trillion I run out of zeros right. I can't imagine what a trillion looks like so but even 400 billion looks like an incredible amount of money and again no, you're right and that's kind of like that's kind of the genius of the the way that this has been marketed it's, it's sort of like you you start pitching the sun moon and the stars and mm. even if you end up just giving them the moon and the stars it's sort of like well, you know, what are you complaining about? You got the moon and the stars. Absolutely. And and this is always the thing when you talk about China, because China is, you know, this, you know the mythical land over in the east. It's uh, but just because of its sheer size, there is so much in terms of economic potential there. So, um, you know, 400 billion sounds like crazy money to me. Um, and it sounds like crazy money to a lot of things. But, you know, if you do it right, you can make crazy money uh, engaging with China, which is why um, perhaps so many governments worldwide are so keen to engage with China because of the vast um, economic potential uh, of business deals that could be done with the country. Um, 
what I'm trying to get at is um, for foreign governments, just just in a, in, right. in, in a general sense, or for, for foreign companies even, uh, the prospect of doing business with China is uh, it's like a, it's like the golden goose. It's like the, the thing you want uh, to get yeah. because there's yeah, just yeah, so yeah, much yeah. money to be made or there's the impression yeah. of so much money to be made. Yeah, I think you're right on that second one. There's the there's the impression. There's of, the impression of so that much you money. can make a lot of yeah, money out of China. There's been there's been um, for literally a hundred years. There's been this almost uh, myth in the eyes of business and throughout the world. They look at China's market and they say it's a billion customers. And there's actually a really good book about this called A Billion Customers. Yeah. Which itself was named after a book written a hundred years ago called Four Hundred Million Customers. Mm. Um, it's this idea that, you know, if I could sell everybody in China one widget, then I'd, I'd have, I've I'd have sold a billion widgets. So it's this, it's the sheer size of the market that tends to really, uh, light up the eyes of, of businessmen around the world and people around the world when they think about China, but people don't really, they don't know about the, the practicalities of actually making money in a place like this. It's not, you can't just walk in the door in China and start making money, especially now that their economy is developed and they have their own national champions. You're, yeah. There's a lot of competition in China. It's really hard Absolutely. to make money. But you know? if you're coming into this blind and you see the possibility of selling a million widgets to people or a billion yeah, widgets sure. to people, then sure. that can be a very tempting prospect. So yep. if we're looking at that um, you know, on the surface, um, with this this um, BRI, this Belt Road uh, Initiative, uh, that that has been championed quite heavily by the, the current um, president of China. Um, if you look at it on the surface, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, um, a global scope and vision. I mean, you know, infrastructure projects as far as the eye can see, the Chinese yep. willing to stump up the money to help develop infrastructure worldwide. Yep. This just looks um, like a positive initiative on the surface. Yeah, it's a win-win is it, what they call it in China. It looks like a win-win. It looks like a win-win. So what's the downside? Well, uh, the downside is that it turns out it's actually really hard uh, to identify good infrastructure projects and to lend to them in a cost-effective way. I mean, like the the world as it exists now is not one that that lacks capital. There is no shortage of people outside of China willing to lend money to good projects. Um, you know, central banks around the world have been essentially printing money since the last financial crisis. Our financial systems have more than enough money to go around for good projects that require lending. So the, the question you really have to ask in the case of a lot of these projects is why was nobody lending to them in the first place? Okay. And the answer is that, you know, in a lot of the, the case of a lot of these projects that there were local circumstances that made it really, really difficult to act build the infrastructure there in a cost-effective fashion. So, you know, you could get local corruption, uh, you could get local political conflict, uh, um, things that make it risky to actually go in because and build that. Some, because some of these countries have been hit quite hard, have they not, by this project? Some of these countries have, um, you know, it's come to 
come back and bite them if you like. And I'm thinking specifically, you mentioned the port in Sri Lanka. Yes, yes, that's, that's, right. That's one example where... Yeah, and so that's a third thing, is whether whether or not these countries can actually afford this infrastructure, uh, whether they can afford the, the loans that they're going to have to take out to pay it back. Okay, tell us uh, more about what's happened in Sri Lanka for people who, sure, sure. who aren't following this as closely as perhaps you and I are. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. In, in the world that I that I live in, you know, it's I, I hear about Sri Lanka every single day, and it's very weird to s- step outside. Whereas in the world I live in, you struggle to pinpoint it on a map. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, you 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 have to always be aware you're living in this kind of weird bubble where like stuff like this is is act, feels important to you, and other people outside it don't really see it that way. But in um, Sri Lanka, yeah, this is presumably important. Tell us why. Yeah, for the people of Sri Lanka, yes, this is important. So um, there's a port in Sri Lanka that mm-hmm. has been built using Chinese money. Okay. Um, Sri Lanka had to take out a lot of loans to build it. I can't remember the exact amount off the top of my head. It's in the tens of billions. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they had to start paying those loans back, it turned out that they, they didn't have the money to do it. Um, so they went back to China and they said, we need to renegotiate the terms of these loans because we can't afford it. Okay. China said, okay, um, as part of the renegotiation for this, we're going to ask that you give us a 99-year lease to the port that we just built. So instead of it being owned, operated, and run by Sri Lanka, it's going to be operated and run by China. Okay. Now, Sri Lanka still has ownership over it, but the exclusive use of the port has been leased to China for the next 99 years, which is a funny number because that's exactly how long Hong Kong was leased. I was going to say, this sounds an awful lot like what happened to the British and Hong Kong. It seems yeah, like the, yeah. the the sort of the almost the, the colonialization of Hong Kong um, and yeah, the way it made China feel like, very bad about it. They're doing exactly the same thing to another country. Yeah, it's sort of like when you guys when I heard that, I was like, you guys couldn't have picked another number, you know, like maybe pick like 97 years or 101 years just so the parallel isn't quite so obvious. But no, they uh, they they chose 99 years. So essentially, what we have now is a situation where, and correct me if I'm summarising this wrong, uh, Sri Lanka, which was in need of infrastructure, signed up with this Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, they took out loans from China, employed Chinese contractors to build this port. They couldn't mm-hmm. afford to pay back the loans on those terms and have now had to mm-hmm. lease back this port exclusively to the Chinese so they're not making any money out of it. They are still mm-hmm. paying for it and China's using mm-hmm. it. So China essentially has a free port and exclusive use over it and they're getting paid for it. Am I right uh, or yeah. am I wrong? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So, the, this, so this looks like a very good deal. It is a kind of a win-win situation for the Chinese because... <laughs> yeah. They're winning yes. twice. Right. And that's that's the joke, right? That uh, for foreign business people in China, that win-win means that China wins twice. So it, it's, so it seems like a bit of a, this is a bit of a, a dicey kind of situation to get into with this infrastructure project. On the surface of it, it looks terrific, but mm-hmm. scratch the surface and it looks um, like a slightly a slightly dicey project to get into if you're really desperate to get this infrastructure. 
it, it doesn't seem like the, the benefits are going to be coming back to you, at least not within the first 99 years. Well, <laughs> yeah, with, if you're Sri Lanka. If um, you're Sri Lanka. Yeah, it's, it, it's very, very, it's always very dicey for countries that don't have strong finances to take on a lot of lending. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's why the World Bank, for example, hasn't been lending on projects like these because that you have to be careful okay. about what you lend on this stuff. And there is, you know. So is China behaving a little bit like a loan shark then? Well, see, that's, that's, that's the thing is that there's a lot of debate about what are the intentions behind the BRI. Is, is this China intentionally landing countries in a debt trap? Is it doing it on purpose as a way to extend its own power? Or is it that China itself didn't anticipate this and now it's got itself in a situation where it's wedded at the hip with a situation that it's got to make the best of? Um, I, I tend to, I tend to lean towards the latter actually. Um, I, I don't, if you're sitting in Beijing and you're thinking about how you're going to lend money out to all of these places, you, the outcome you're looking for is not one where countries are not able to repay this stuff. You're looking for good outcomes because good outcomes are actually good for you too. But this is so a good I, outcome if you're getting a free port and getting paid for it at the same time. Yeah, but it's it, it's got a lot of really bad knock-on effects. You know, it looks really bad everywhere. Um, you know, the United States and other countries around the world can sort of club you over the head with this this debt trap notion, and it also makes other countries who would who might be willing to borrow from you really really wary. And we actually see that happening now around the world. We see countries that you know, we're considering borrowing really enthusiastically from China are, are starting to reconsider that. Like Myanmar, for example, just uh, cut the, the amount of a potential project from, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like uh, uh, it was something huge. It was going to be like $10 billion, and now they've cut it down to $2 billion. Which is um, still significant. but it's Yeah, it's still a big number, but it's probably one that, that Myanmar can actually afford to pay back. Uh, and they've specifically cited debt trap concerns yeah. um, as, as well, this, a reason for that. Well, this notion of the debt trap diplomacy, um, is, this, is this a reputation that you think China's getting now? And is this something that you think um, perhaps will... I guess the reason I'm asking is because in the UK, obviously, we are hurtling towards um, our exit date um, as we are leaving the EU. And certainly um, our, our trade ministers, our trade ministers are very keen to do business with China, because as we were talking before, um, there are a lot of numbers involved. There is the potential yes. to make yes. huge money. But as we found with these examples we've talked about on the BRI, there is also the potential for things to go quite dramatically wrong. Yes. So is this something that you think politicians in the UK are aware of? Is this something that you think um, would the UK, for example, get into the same mm -hmm. trouble as mm -hmm. a country like Sri Lanka? Would we end up with a Chinese no. port that no. um, we can't pay for? No, ab absolutely not. Um, because, well, for a couple of reasons. The first is that the, the UK is 
is not going to be engaging with China because it needs infrastructure. Um, the UK is is not going to be seeking Chinese loans to help build bridges and ports because, for the most part, the UK can fund all this itself. I know we have um, we do have the Chinese helping to build as a Hinkley Point, uh, a new nuclear yeah, power right, station. Point. Yeah, the nuclear power plant. Yes. So yeah, we're still right. taking Chinese infrastructure funds here. Yeah. The the second thing is that the UK by and large can afford to pay these things back. Um, the, the UK's fu public finances, regardless of what you may be reading in the papers there, um, are... We do get rather um, hysterical as British journalists, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, British journalism is a trip. Um, <laughs> well, <but> thank you. <laughs> except for except for the good people of Scotland. Thank you very much. Who are always so, sober-minded and serious. Um, I wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> But thanks, no, so, Matt. Checks in the post. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to my 10-pound check. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for uh, the short answer is that the UK can probably almost definitely afford to pay any of this stuff back. Right. Um, so the UK is not going to be engaging with China uh, on terms that will lead to debt trap diplomacy. What, what you guys are going to want to do is to uh, boost trade and investment between the two countries. So debt trap's not going to be a huge concern for you guys. Okay. So what would the main concerns be, do you think? Is this is this BRI, is this Belt and Road Initiative, the new Silk Road? Do you think in these post-Brexit times, this is something that the UK should be embracing? Is this a, a project that we really should be um, embracing wholeheartedly? No, I, I think like like anything proposed by any large country anywhere, uh, the, the UK should be taking a hard-headed look at it and should be saying, on what terms will engagement with this serve our national interests? Um, and in the case of the BRI, um, there's, to be honest, there's not a lot of room for engagement, actually, by the UK. It, at least at this current moment, um, but there was there was the notion at the beginning that foreign banks would help to co-finance a lot of these projects, mm -hmm. and as it's turned out, that just that hasn't been the case. You know, Standard Charter wanted to get in on this. Um, I think Barclays was looking at it as well at the beginning, and it, there's just really hasn't been any room for foreign players in the financing of it. They're they're doing a little bit of it, but it's just it's a rounding error. It's tiny compared okay. to what Chinese banks are doing. This is just very much a Chinese banking project. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of, so for developed countries in the West, uh, whom, I mean, we may eventually benefit from this project if goods are coming from China. Um, you know, we may benefit from it in terms of importing cheaper Chinese goods uh, that we're able to get here a lot quicker than if we were just relying on current shipping methods. Uh, yeah, yes, sort of. Um, I, what, what I think the big benefit could potentially be, um, if all of this were done correctly and you got all of the good outcomes that China is hoping for, would, it wouldn't necessarily be just boosting trade with China. It would be opening up markets throughout Central Asia, uh, and throughout all of the other countries in Africa and the Indian Ocean that are connected to this. Um, because if there are railroads and roads and ports and bridges connecting all these countries, then 
you know, in theory, that should allow the UK and Europe to engage with these markets, to visit these markets, to use these markets as logistical hubs, to sell their goods to these markets, to set up businesses in these markets, to, to make the doing of business and the construction of an economy easier in these places. And I mean, you that, can, you can, oh, sorry. So I'm just going to say, well, I mean, is that, is that where this is going? I mean, we're having some of the hiccups here, uh, certainly in terms of the money that's getting invested. Um, you, you are seeing the, let's call it hiccup in Sri Lanka, where they've had to sign over a national port for 99 years. Other countries who are having to do this. Um, are these just small hiccups that will get ironed out? Or do you think that this is eventually <laughs> going to open up uh, other countries for trade? And, uh, you know, China's just helping the trade system merrily along <laughs> well i mean that that's the 400 billion dollar question and, and honestly if i knew the answer to that i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't be sitting in my bathroom recording a podcast with you <laughs> I'd be, uh, you know i'd be off in wall street somewhere making money hand over fist making but, another 400 billion dollars one might suspect yeah exactly but i mean the, the answer to that really is that it's not clear yet okay. uh we we don't we don't know there I do want to uh, – I tend to discourage people when they bring up debt trap diplomacy for the reason that there's um, – there have been a lot of projects that have run into trouble with the BRI. Um, but there's been a lot of projects that haven't. Uh, people who track this thing have found that only, only about 14 percent of projects have run into any sort of public issues so far. So that, that's another 86% of projects. And who's benefiting? Who are the 86% who are benefiting from this? You mean like what countries? Yeah, well, which, uh, I mean, because I'm looking at this in terms of who's, who's, who's winning, in the words of Donald right. Trump, who's winning? Who's, who's right. getting the advantages from this? <laughs> uh, well, one, one would hope that the, the advantages would be accruing to the countries that have taken on these loans to build infrastructure. But when you when you get into the question of who in those countries benefits, then it always becomes more complicated. You know, is it going to be the president and his cronies? Is it going to be connected industrialists? Or is it going to be um, just average people who are now able to, you know, open shops and export their goods and get things to market? And it, it's a big, complicated question, and I don't, I don't know that we have a really good answer to that yet. Okay, so time will tell. We'll have to wait and see whether this wealth filters down. But for now, an interesting project and one that uh, certainly is worth uh, keeping an eye on. Matt, thank you so much for <coughs> talking to us. From thank you. From Washington, D.C., for talking us to the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, fingers crossed it works out, and we all make millions of dollars from this. Yep. We're all going to be rich. Matt, what's your, twi what's your Twitter? If anyone wants to, to find out more about this, if anyone wants to uh, hear more of your musings about this subject, how's the best way to follow uh, you? Uh, so I am on Twitter, and I spend too much time on there, so please feel free to reach out. It's uh, My handle is Tomb Schrader. Tomb you know, Schrader. Like a, <laughs> yeah, like the, like the video game Tomb Raider. It's very funny. Yeah, um, so Tomb Schrader yeah, is, Tomb uh, Schrader. that's how we find you on Twitter. And of course, the China Brief, uh, we can find on Twitter as well. What's the handle for the China Brief? Uh, that is China Brief JT. China Let me Brief. confirm that real quick. China Brief JT. That's how we get hold of you. 
and the publication uh, if we want to hear any more about the Belt and Road Initiative or any other China-related bits and pieces, that's the place to go. Matt, thank you so much. It's been illuminating and it's been great to hear from you. Thank you for having me, Hal. It's been great. Okay, and we'll speak really soon. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Outwit and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>